Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Viral Sheth, who is with uh, University Retina in Chicago and is an assistant clinical professor at the uh, University of Illinois at Chicago. Uh, Viral, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Thanks for having me on today. Welcome to uh, Retina Synthesis. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the Altissimo trial. Uh, from Graybug, and uh, why don't you tell us about this, the design of the trial and what the, the bio biology of this uh, therapeutic system is? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll answer that second question first. What, what are we studying uh, in the Altissimo study? We're looking at uh, a molecule called GB102, uh, also known as sunitinib, um, and that's a TKI. So we're looking at something that is able to kind of uh, suppress VEGF in a, in a pan-VEGF suppression uh, mechanism of action. And so not just VEGF-A like we're used to uh, with our current standard of care, uh, but also the other VEGF isomers. And so um, the the other kind of unique aspect to this molecule is that it's, it's basically... Um, embedded in a molecule that's that's released over time, right? And so I think the two things we're looking for today are, you know, advanced mechanisms of action, but also durability. And so that's kind of the, the angle of this GB102 molecule. So, so the trial itself, um, we're looking at patients that have been treated, previously treated for wet macular degeneration, um, had to have had at least three anti-VEGF injections prior to enrollment in this study. Um, and so for those patients, that were enrolled, they were, there were two study groups, a one milligram GB102 group and a two milligram group. And those patients were dosed at day one. And then again, six months later uh, with the GB102 molecule. And they were compared to the aflibercept group um, that were getting Q8 week aflibercept. So, so we looked at those three groups and I will say uh, during an interim analysis because of some of the safety signals, the two milligram group of the G GB102 was, was dropped. And so those patients, that stayed on in the study were converted over to a one milligram group at their second dosing. So that's kind of the, the gist of the trial. It was a 12 month study. Uh, and for people, uh, for patients that didn't need rescue therapy, um, they were able to uh, continue on into a six month observation. And so uh, 28 of those patients were, were continued on out of the, the, the total cohort. Um, and so we got to see what happened to those patients uh, six months after the, the core study ended and to see how long they could go uh, without rescue therapy. What was the res rescue criteria? Yeah, so rescue criteria were a drop in 10 letters um, or a, a, an increase in CST of 75 microns or more. So, you know, it's interesting, right? Because we did see in this study that that patients were rescued despite having no CST worsening. And, and so why is that, right? They did drop vision. Well, why did they drop vision? We did see patients uh, in the study where the drug was dispersed. And so you got these vitreous floaters. That was one of the most common um, adverse events that we saw. And these floaters, uh, especially three months after the injection. So you saw it at month three, and then again at month nine, which is three months after their second dose, where these floaters would disperse, the drug would disperse, and the vision would drop, and you would see patients get rescued because of that vision drop. But if you actually went back and looked at their CSTs, they probably didn't need a rescue, and the vision drop mm -hmm. was really kind of transient from the floater. So, so those were the rescue criteria. Uh, and maybe how, you know, if you, if you think about that, how these could be fine-tuned for this 
particular drug in the future. How many eyes were in the study? Yeah, there were 56 patients in the study. Divided equally between the three groups? Yeah, so equally between the three groups. Uh, and then again, like I said, that two milligram group continued on, but at a one milligram dosing for the second right. interval. So it wasn't a huge study. No, small, small phase two study. And what happened to the visual acuity? At 50 so, weeks. yeah, so, so there's two, you know, two really primary endpoints to this was change in baseline DCD and change in baseline CST. And CST was pretty much on par between the study groups and the aflibercept groups, but BCVA was lower in the ultimately what became the one milligram uh, study group. And um, if you look at it, if you break it down and look at each individual patient, most of them from a BCVA standpoint, clustered around the aflibercept group, but there were four outliers that really drove uh, kind of the BCVA discrepancies that we saw. So there were the, the four patients, you know, one of them had a subretinal hemorrhage um, and never recovered that BCVA fully. That subretinal hemorrhage happened about three months after the treatment with GB102. And then the other three patients, when you look back, were pretty high need anti-VEGF therapy patients. So ahead of the uh, enrollment, they were getting real frequent injections, and, and you can argue that they really really never dried out uh, before enrollment into the study. And so, you know, it begs the question of, of patient selection, um, you know, maybe a broader discussion about TKIs in general and where they fit, um, you know, is going with a more durable model, is that good for patients in the long run? Do we need to, to get them dried out before we convert them over to something like this? So there's so many questions that, that we kind of have coming up from these. Um, and that's, that's it's something definitely we can dive into if you're interested. So the durability data was exciting. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So we saw that, you know, in the, in the durability group, what, what are we looking for? These were, these are patients that were dosed every six months, uh, essentially. And so we saw that 81% um, of the patients achieved three months or more durability. In other words, they were able to go three months before they needed a rescue therapy. 48% achieved six months or longer and 29% achieved 12 months durability. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, it's exciting, right? Because right now we're talking about six month treatment platforms that are surgical. And so to be able to do this with an intravitreal injection um, is pretty exciting. I think if you, if you looked at durability from the standpoint of injection frequency, you also saw what you wanted to see there, which is a 63% uh, decrease in the injection frequency. So you had patients coming in prior to enrollment, getting about 10 and a half injections uh, per year. And then on study, once receiving the GB102, getting three and a half injections per year. So you like to see that as well, if you're looking for durability. What was the, what's the delivery uh, system like? The um... Yeah, so there's, there's, I think there's two ways that I look at it. There's one is the preparation of the medication, which is, you know, there's an 11 step preparation process. So, so Graybug is working on simplifying that and probably will cut the number of steps in half uh, as we move forward with other, with newer protocols. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a compound that you've got to prepare. You've got to really make sure, um, you know, that it's, that it's mixed properly because you can get potentially some of the powder uh, that's not uh, completely dissolved. Uh, from the from the solution, and so so that can be an issue. So once you get it the proper consistency, it's a pretty thick uh, uh, compound that you've got to inject through a twenty seven gauge needle. But you can do this via an intravitreal delivery, and so it's not 
um, like some of the other TKIs that are in it, like a Duracert. It's actually just a molecular compound that ultimately dissolves uh, completely in the end. Where does it, uh, does it sink into yeah, the so, lower vitreous? Yeah, great question. So, so this is given, um, really, you want to inject uh, at right about six o'clock. So it's on like kind of some, I do my other injections super temporally, but this one you're going right at six and you're essentially delivering it into the kind of the inferior space there and it just sits there. Uh, and theoretically it should kind of release over the next six months. So what's the next step for this product? So they're enhancing, they're working on enhancing the, the, the molecular compound itself. So the, the key is, you know, as we discussed a little bit, the, the issue uh, with some of these patients was, was dispersion of the, of the molecular compound. That dispersion can lead to floaters, that flo floaters can lead to some transient drop in vision. So they're working on making a little bit more of a cohesive molecular compound so that it's, it's not messing with the kinetics in the sense that it'll still release over the course of six months, but it won't disperse and create uh, as many of these floaters which can, which can affect the vision as well. well. What percent of eyes had dispersion that was notable? Yeah, there were, there were about uh, five patients in the GB102 one milligram group that had this. Um, so we're not talking about a huge percent, but, but enough where in a small group, it, it made a big impact. Hmm. Well, this is fascinating. Uh, do you think TKIs have a future in uh, retina? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, so there were there were three really good presentations uh, at angiogenesis. And I think for me personally, I kind of I saw a pattern, right? I, I think that you saw that there is a subset of patients that do really, really well with these TKIs. In other words, if you look at, you know, Dr. Dukers and Dr. Moshevegi's data uh, that they presented at angiogenesis, you know, we're talking about half, maybe maybe 60% of these patients that can get a dose of these medications and then not need anything for six months or maybe longer. I mean, we saw patients, about 30% of our patients in the one milligram group that didn't need any rescue therapy for a year. So, so if you look at just that, the, 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 my answer, my easy answer is, yeah, there's value there for sure. The, the question really is why did we have some of these outlier patients, right? I told you about four patients in our group that really drove the BCBA down. So who were those patients? How do we figure out, you know, how to identify the right uh, candidates for these medications? And if we can do that, I think that there's really um, there's really kind of room for this in in our in our toolbox. Well, I think you got unlucky with those four patients. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and look, I think that speaks to to kind of future study design and making sure patients are stable, dry before you put them in into a study group where they're receiving a drug that may not hit those same kind of bolus level uh, it, levels of, of of therapeutic in the eye but are enough to maintain a dry retina over time, right? So I think that, that was kind of the one of the learning lessons of this study. And, and they didn't have a, a mandatory pre-study injection of aflibercept. They, they did, theoretically, they were supposed to receive a, um, a study drug injection three weeks prior to their first study drug. In other words, I'm sorry, an anti-VEGF injection prior to their first study drug injection. So they did do that they did. They did. But there was no, you know, you know, I think now newer studies are looking at, okay, well, when they get this, what is the initial treatment response to the anti-VEGF, right? Making sure that they do dry out with the anti-VEGF therapy before they enroll the patient. 
I think that's a really good way to enroll these patients into these studies where you're not getting high levels of potentially drug, but you're getting nice, consistent levels of drug. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that uh, the TKI as a durability agent works best when the eyes that start are totally dry. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think, Carmen, I think the real question is, is this a mechanism of action that has legs? And I think that my answer is yes. And I think as we get these newer agents, I mean, look, we've got the, the recent approval of frisimab. We've got all these new agents, newer mechanisms we're looking at. I think we're going to have to be a little bit more particular in how we select patients and which, which medication we use to kind of tailor their care. So I think, I think, again, I think there's a place for this. I think we're just, we're just at the beginning of these phase one, phase two studies where we're figuring out who it's right for and who it may not be right for. Well, Vero, this has been an interesting discussion and uh, we need to check in later about, Thanks, uh, about uh, Graybug. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time.